For our scripture reading, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 11. Begin reading at verse 1, and I'll read various sections between verse 1 and chapter 12, verse 32. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 62. Let us now hear God's word. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from there. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, 
and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generation as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you'll eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Go down to verse 21 now. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised you, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord, as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Thus far the reading of God's word, may it is blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of Christ, what are we to make of the God of the Old Testament? Is he the same God as the God of the New Testament? Throughout history, that has been the question that many unbelievers have asked, many who deny the faith or who are obstinate against the faith. Surely this couldn't be the same God of the New Testament because the God of the Old Testament is one of wrath and anger. He kills little kids. He kills men, women, and children. How can you serve this evil God? So they say. Has anybody ever asked you that? Let me ask you, Christian, how do you respond if somebody were to ask you that question? How can you serve a God who does these acts of judgments? These are serious questions and accusations against the God of the Bible. 
For the God of the Old Testament is the same God as the New Testament. The one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As I've stated before, these plagues teach us a lot about who God is and His character and nature and His judgments. These plagues teach us a lot about God's power and might over man, over the beasts of the field, God's power over all of His creation because He is Creator God. They teach us about God's judgment against sin and evil and rebellion. I'm going to talk more about this at the end of the sermon, but I kind of want us to start thinking about this. Think about this question that unbelievers have or those agnostics or atheists or those who oppose the Bible have concerning who this God is in the Old Testament who does these things. We have here in our text the plague of plagues where the Lord announces the last plague. The Lord announces to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. So the Lord is announcing the last plague to his prophet and servant Moses, and Moses is supposed to announce this last plague to the people of Israel. It will be the final blow. It will be so powerful and effective that Pharaoh will have no choice but to let the people of Israel go. The firstborn child was very important in ancient times particularly the firstborn male child. They succeeded the head of the home, the father. When the father died, the wealth and status went to the firstborn son. Now some inheritance was given to other children, but the bulk of the responsibility and inheritance went to the firstborn son because the firstborn son assumed responsibility of the family. Should the father die? The firstborn, the word firstborn was then used and became symbolic to refer to someone who is chief or someone who is preeminent. Someone who is over all things. You think of Jesus. He is the firstborn of the dead. That is, he is chief over the dead. He is preeminent over death. No one has power over him. He has the keys to death and Hades. God places Pharaoh in a very vulnerable position, demonstrating his power and might in these plagues, showing that he is God, he is creator God. He is the God of light and darkness. He is the God over the cosmos and creation. And he is the God of life. He gives life and he takes life as Hannah prays. To prepare for the plague, the Lord commanded Moses to instruct Israel to approach their Egyptian neighbors. This plague is coming. This final plague is coming. And this is what I want you to do, Moses. Go tell the people of Israel to approach their Egyptian neighbors and ask them for gold and silver. Because the Egyptians 
respected highly the people of Israel. The people of Israel feared, or the people of Egypt feared Moses. They feared Moses more than they feared the Pharaoh. By the end of the plagues, they fear Moses more than Pharaoh, who is what? The son of Ra, the son of the sun God. He is supposed to be God of the people, God of the land. And they don't fear him anymore. They fear the God of Moses now. And so the Egyptians highly favored the Israelites, and God used the Egyptians to provide for Israel's financial means and security as they are about to exit Egypt. Before you go, we're going to plunder the Egyptians. We're going to plunder the enemy. They're going to provide financial security, food provisions. And Israel will plunder them without any violence. Did you get that? Listen. They plunder the Egyptians without using any violence or force. Isn't that the church of Jesus Christ? When we go forth with the gospel, calling people to repentance and faith, when we call out evil for what it is, do we use the sword? Or do we use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God? Egypt will voluntarily give up their wealth to Israel. And so God prepares them. He announces this last plague, preparing the people for the exodus at the enemy's expense. And they feared Moses, not Pharaoh. And then in verses 4 to 8, if you look with me in your Bible, the narrative switches to Moses and Pharaoh where we hear these words, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his, his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And how do we know it's the Pharaoh? Well, we know later that Moses leaves Pharaoh's presence in hot anger after he announces to Pharaoh this plague. God will kill the firstborn of Egypt, not murder. God will kill the firstborn of Egypt. The chief, the the next in line, the chief in line, the preeminent one of the house who is to come. I just wonder if I were to ask you guys to raise your hands if you're a firstborn. Son. Now, there's a case to be made that it's referring to men and women, firstborn men and women, sons and daughters. So let's say you're a firstborn son. If you were to raise your hand, you would be stricken. Or a firstborn daughter, if that's the case here. The Lord sends this plague that will strike the firstborn in Egypt, and it is in fact God repaying Egypt for what they have done to Israel when he would not let the people go. Look with me at chapter 4 of Exodus. Chapter 4, 
19 to 21. Important passage of Scripture. Actually, we're going to start at verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. God made it very clear to Pharaoh what he would do if he refused to let the people go. Pharaoh was not in the dark in terms of the will of God. He was dark in his heart regarding rebellion against God. Very important passage of scripture there. This announcement of the last plague ultimately attacks Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt when God will repay and judge Pharaoh harshly because of the harshness that Pharaoh did against the Israelites. The same language used earlier in chapter 1 and 2 and how the Egyptians were harsh towards the Israelites. Now God will be harsh towards Pharaoh. Just as the Israelites wailed, cried loudly because of the pain and suffering they endured under Pharaoh's hand, under slavery, the Egyptians will what? Cry loudly. They will wail when the firstborn son or daughter is killed. The Lord will repay Pharaoh for his obstinate and rebellion heart. Pharaoh, who is the son of the god Ray, will not have his son ascend the throne and be God to the people. God the Lord will destroy false gods and gods of Egypt in this last plague. Now listen, we've been talking about the gods that the Lord attacks in these plagues during the course of the sermon series. Concerning the gods, there was a god, Osiris. And Osiris was a god who possessed sovereign power and was the god of death. God will destroy the god of death in Egypt. There was a god called Anubis. Anubis too was a powerful god of the underworld. And he too will be destroyed. This god, Anubis, we've talked about how these gods would be revealed or manifested as having a human body and an animal body as well. Well, Anubis, you know what he appeared as to the people? He, he was half man and half dog. Well, what did we read? What did we read when God makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt? That not a dog shall growl against the people of Israel. You think he's speaking of someone there? God will mock and destroy and attack the Egyptian gods and Pharaoh himself. And no harm shall come upon the people of God because God will humiliate and destroy his enemies. 
at verse 8 and following, And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. This announcement, this grave announcement, is declared to the people and and to Egypt, and Pharaoh still hasn't learned. He hardens his heart towards the message, towards God. What a fool. Morally bankrupt. Morally corrupt. And so Moses storms out of his presence in hot anger. Hot anger. Moses is ticked. He is fuming. And I came across a quote from one commentator that was very interesting. He says this, To be in the presence of evil and yet fail to be angry is a dreadful spiritual and moral malady. So if you were in the presence of Pharaoh and he was acting this way, behaving this way, being obstinate and rebellious in this way, would you like leave laughing or like, oh, no big deal? As Christians, we take evil seriously. Perhaps the church finds itself in this conundrum in in these days because we have minimized evil and sin. We have made evil... thought about evil lightly or not seriously. Evil is a serious thing. God will not deal with Pharaoh's evil any longer, and he will not cause his wrath to extend to his people, because by his grace, God will spare the firstborn of Israel, because he loves them, he had called them to be his people, and he will provide a way of escape from the destroyer. God instructs his people then to find protection in the flesh and blood of the Lamb. So after this announcement of this great plague to come that is given to the people of God and to the, to the Egyptians, God now draws his attention to the Israelites. And he's going to give Moses instruction on what Israel must do to be saved from the destroyer. You see, God just doesn't let Israel leave without a cost, without blood being shed. And that's why chapter 12 is so essential before the actual killing of the firstborn. God distinguishes his people from the Egyptians, giving them instructions to find safety and protection from God himself. Have you considered that? What God is doing here? What God did through Christ on the cross? That God sent God the Son to save us from God? 
and his wrath? Well, same to here. God will come down. He will visit the land of Egypt. And he will come in wrath. And when he comes, he's going to provide the way of escape for the Israelites. A spotless male lamb, a year old, must be killed. Its blood must be placed on the doorpost and the lintel of the Hebrew home. Not one of the bones of the lamb shall be broken. Sound familiar? When the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was crucified, not one bone was broken. The Lamb was killed after four days of securing the Lamb. So the Lamb was in their presence four days alive. Then it was killed. There's no altar, no priestly intercession. No corporate assembly mentioned in this first Passover. No, the clans, get your lamb, kill it. After killing the lamb, place it on your doorpost and lintel. Why? Because life is in the blood of man and animal. The life of the animal will be taken in exchange for the life of the Hebrew household. To be spared, a substitute is needed. Because they're not going to leave this plague. The Israelites will not be spared unless there's blood. Unless there's blood. For the Lord says, chapter 12, verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you. A sign for you, believer, on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Do this and your firstborn will live. Don't do this and your firstborn will die. Both man and beast. Why the Lord's Passover? Why did God institute this particular act? Well, Egypt and Israel are both sinners. But God chose Israel to be his prized possession, his holy nation, a people set apart. And the way that they are protected is through the shedding of blood. The way they are saved is through the shedding of blood. He judges all sinners, all peoples. And he passes over those who are covered by blood. Israel's sin must be appeased. And God himself offers that appeasement through this the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's Passover. And notice how the people respond in verse 27. Chapter 12, verse 27. You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped 
Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. In response to this way of escape, after they had done this, they worshipped the Lord. They bowed their heads in reverence and worshipped, and they did it in faith. They believed the word of God. They believed the word of the Lord. They believed that their only way of escape from the destroyer was through the shedding of blood, the way God prescribed it. Because the destroyer came in this final plague, in verses 29 and following. And this plague was so great, so powerful. And on this side of the plague, on this side of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, as we read this plague, it is very sobering, isn't it? When you read what happened in the land of Egypt when there was not a house in the land among the Egyptians where there was not the death of a firstborn. And there was great crying and wailing. Let that pierce your heart. Think about that. And think about being an Israelite in those days when that could have been you and your household. That could have been your household, but God, by His grace, instituted this Passover so that you would be spared. As they're eating the Passover in haste, as they're celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you think that they're hearing the wailing? Do you think that they're hearing mothers crying over their dead child? Do you think they hear fathers wailing? Oh, it's easy to say they deserved it. It's easy for the church to say, oh, we got it all together here. They, they deserve what they get. Those out in DeMont, we feel Lowell, they all deserve it. They have what's coming to them. The Lord will repay them. And you don't? And I don't? I don't deserve it? I didn't have an obstinate heart that rebelled against God. God didn't have to do a supernatural work in my heart, open my heart and cleanse me by the blood of His Son. We should be grieving and praying for the salvation of souls who are lost in sin and not covered by the blood of the Lamb. Not trusting in the blood of the Lamb. Because Christ's blood will cover all of His people. And we are to pray that unbelievers turn to Jesus. 
plague was so severe that Pharaoh lets the people go and he asks Moses for a blessing. Before you go, bless me. Bless me. Now, as usual, he seeks a blessing. But he's got no interest in the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, the God of the Hebrews, the God of the universe. He has no concern. In fact, his heart will become hardened again when he goes after the Israelites and he will suffer further shame and defeat at the Red Sea. God announces a final plague, a final blow, rejected again by Pharaoh. Then he provides a way of escape for his people, giving instructions for the Passover. The blood, the blood of the lamb will cover the people's houses and cover the people so that they do not die. And then you have this plague, the death of the firstborn, where all Israel's first or all Egypt's firstborn are killed. God makes a distinguish, distinguish, distinguishment between his people and Israel. I want to close with a few things. In the Passover, God teaches us several things, some I've mentioned. God teaches us that Christ our Lord is the righteous and perfect lamb. He is a righteous and perfect lamb who takes away the sin of the world because he who knew no sin became sin for us. He became the sin offering that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is that perfect lamb, that spotless, blameless lamb. Secondly, Christians are spared from the wrath of God against Sin. Because God must punish sin. And we are spared from God's wrath through the one sacrifice for sin that Jesus laid down his life for us on the cross. He is our Passover lamb. He suffered and died in our stead. He is our substitute. He bore the death that belonged to us. Thirdly, Christ our Lord defeats the enemies of God in his death on the cross. He releases his people from bondage of sin and Satan, and he rose victoriously from the dead, conquering evil death and Satan himself. And death has no more power over us. We are no longer enslaved by death, no longer enslaved by sin. In fact, as the Catechism says, Jesus paid for all of our sins with his precious blood and set us free from what? The tyranny of the devil. Jesus truly leads us out of Egypt and into our glorious inheritance. Lastly, the Passover, in the Passover, God teaches us that the Lord's Supper replaced the Lord's Passover. The Lord's Supper is that sign for us that points back to the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And in the Lord's Supper, we eat and drink the body and blood of Christ with mouths of faith, and we enjoy fellowship with Him, life in Christ.
The Lord's Supper replaces that not that bloody sacrifice of the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's Passover, rather. And lastly, I want to cl- conclude with this. As we come to the end of the ten signs or plagues in the Passover, we see in these plagues that God teaches us a number of things about himself. He is almighty. He is jealous for his glory. He is just. He is merciful. And he is sovereign over all. As I've said in the beginning and I've said it throughout, God has shown who he is by nature. That he is almighty and there is no one like him. He is jealous and he is the one who receives all the glory. He is just and he has the right, the divine right to punish and judge sin. It's not until we know our sin and misery that we come to know the greatness of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. And God is sovereign. He controls all things. Even Pharaoh and Egypt. It's my prayer that throughout this series on the plagues that you came away, that we came away seeing the wonders of our God. The wonders of our God in His justice and His mercy. The wonders of our God in His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus bore the plagues. Jesus was stricken. Stricken by God. Stricken by the wrath of God. So that in Him we have life and life eternal. If you are not covered by the blood of Jesus, by faith in Him, I implore you to turn to Him, repent of your sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. Because there is going to be a day, and it is coming, He is coming, with a sword in His mouth, and by His word, Jesus Himself will judge the living and the dead. And if you have not been covered by the blood of the Lamb, you will be stricken by the wrath of God. This is not my word. This is not my word. I wouldn't dare to say this on my own authority. I wouldn't dare to say it on my own authority. This comes from the authority of God's word, that those who do not turn to Christ will be lost forever. So if you're here and you don't know Christ and the Spirit is working in your hearts, convicting you of your sins, turn to Jesus, the one who laid down his life, shed his blood for that sin. Whether you're here or watching online, turn to Christ and know the exodus, the exodus from Egypt having been released from the bondage of sin, death, and hell, and given new life in Christ, the joy of God's salvation in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you have mercy upon your people. We confess, Lord, that we are sinners by nature, 
that we sin in thought, word, and in deed. We confess, Lord, that we deserve divine judgments. But God, you are rich in mercy. You are so rich in mercy. And you have made us alive in Christ. By his precious blood, we have been washed clean of all of our sins. By the Spirit of God, we've been washed and caused to be born again to a living hope. And by his blood, we are forgiven daily of actual sins that we commit. And so, Lord, we come to you with grateful hearts, filled with joy, that we serve the living and true God, and that there is none like you. And only through Christ and Christ alone, we have a hope. A hope in the heavenly places. An inheritance that is ours through faith in Christ. An inheritance that shall never perish nor fade away. Oh, Father, we pray that your gospel would enable us and empower us to live out our Christian faith in hope and love, that you would help us, O Lord, and deepen our faith, that we would walk in that newness of life that Jesus has secured for us in his cross and resurrection. O Father, we pray this in Jesus' name.